The Eddie B. Sit edition, an audio series of the Talmud Bavli. Masechet Yoma has been dedicated in memory of Mazal Bat Esther Baghdadi and Yosef Ben Mazal Baghdadi by their family. Ruach Hashem Tanihem Began Eden. Amen. Today's daf has been dedicated by North Fork Bank and its private banking department with Gabriel Safti. Hashem Ishmedehu Bihayehu. We would like to thank North Fork Bank and urge our listeners to patronize this generous financial institution. On a uh, private note, we'd like to thank Mr. Gabriel Safti for his continued support for all our programs here at uh, Daf Yomi, Torah Learning Resources, and the Torah Center. Today's Daf has been dedicated in memory of Yosef Ben Mazal and Shalom Rafael Ben Mazal. Ruach Hashem Tanihem Began Eden Amen. Daf Kaf Aleph. Today's daf is being studied there. Anu Nishmat Abraham ben Esther. Ruach Hashem Tanihem Began Eden Amen. Today's daf is being studied there for Ashlema Hayim David ben Adel. El na refana lo. El na refana lo. El na refana lo. Fat nefesh ufat aguf ufatok rebal bo vecheni rason venomar Amen. We begin today on Kaf Aleph Amud Rishon, six lines down. Amar Rav Yehuda, Amar Rav. B'Sha'ash Yisrael, only La Regel, when the Jewish people used to go up to Jerusalem, to the Beit Hamikdash, on the Regel, Omdim Sefufim, they would stand in the area of the Beit Hamikdash Sefufim, which literally means tight and very crowded. Umishtahavim Ravahim. But when it came for them to bow down, they had a lot of room. So there was a miracle <clears throat> that somehow the Beit HaMikdash would expand at the time that they needed to bow down. <clears throat> and the Gemara explains how many people were there, how crowded was it. And the people, there was such an influx, if you remember the way we learned the construction of the Beit HaMikdash, going east to west, the Kodesh Kodashim being in the west, Behind the Kodesh Kodeshim, on the outside there was an 11 Amah space from the Kodesh Kodeshim to the wall. So the Jewish people, there were so many of them that not only did they fill uh, the eastern side of the Beit HaMikdash, but they all the way overflowed around all the way to the western side of the Beit HaMikdash, to the other side of the uh, Kodesh uh, from behind. So the Gemara says, My Kamar, what is the Gemara saying over here? I mean, she says, Which means if you just tell me that it was a miracle, that the Mikbetta Mikdash had overexpansion. So what did they have to stand on the other side for? If they expanded, they could all be on the on the east side. So the Gemara says, no, Hakika Amar. Which means it's saying, even though the P 
people were so uh, abundant and there was so much population that they were all the way wrapping around to the uh, behind the Bet Kapor. It's still still when they bowed, they bowed very comfortable. Which is trying to say that even though there were so many people, how many people were there that they wrapped around all the way behind the Kodesh Kodeshim? Still miraculously, when it came to the time of the bowing, somehow all the people were able to find for a at least in order to do the Shtachavayot. That she says on the word Sefufim, Lashon Tzaf. Tzaf literally means to float. There's so many people that were there. Everybody was pushing each other. There was not even room for people to turn. The people were just standing upright like poles. And there were so many people, their legs were off the ground. So that's why they used Sefufim. They were like floating because they were off the ground. Now, why was this miracle necessary? So that she understands that it was in order not to embarrass the worshippers. Because on Kippur, let's say for example, they were making vidui. And since they were making the vidui, it wouldn't be proper for a person to hear what his friend is confessing on. So therefore, if they're right next to each other and he's making the vidui, he doesn't have a loud voice, so he's going to be embarrassed. So therefore, the Beit HaMikdash expanded, and everybody had four amot, meaning their own uh, area, in order to make the vidui. Next Rashi, Nimshachin Right? They were drawn to the 11 Amot behind the Kaporet, Nimshachin Metok Dukhkan, because of their, uh, their uh, crowding, Umitpazdin Alpine Orech Kol Yid Alef Amash Makom Dirisat Ragle Yisrael Asafon Veladarom. So now that she tells us, not only were they there, if you remember, after Shahani Kanor, you have the place where the Yisrael are able to stand. Now, going north south, they filled up that whole area, and they also filled the north flank of the Beit Hamikdash as well as the southern flank, as well as the eastern side. So, if you look in your your odd scrolls, you'll see the picture on twenty one A one, where all the shaded area over here is actually where B'nai Israel were. Here's the courtyard right after Shah Nikanor. They filled this whole area here, and then you have the north and south sides are filled with. Uh, Jews as well, they all, all the way wrapped around behind the uh, Kodesh. That's what Rashi's telling us, that not only the east and west sides were filled with people, but the north and south sides also. So he says, um, We said by the, by the uh, Hechal, Itself, they had some uh, chambers. One of the chambers was the Shkata Halifot. That's where Pinhasam uh, Nabish, that was the one that dressed the Kohanim. So they, they went all around that area. And they all went from the north to the south, all the way wrapped around to the west. Like we learned above. Now, look at the Nashi, Haki Ka'amad. 
this that it said that they were drawn behind the Azara Areshakae which it means to, to say like this Hakikamar Even though they were drawn after the Kaporet When they came to bow they didn't bow in the west because they're behind the Kodesh they had to come around to the eastern side so they're facing west when they're bowing. So it's really a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a double miracle because they were all able to fit in a small little area. I mean, that area uh, by the Mizrach, where the Ezrat Yisrael is, is let's say uh, 136 Amah by 22 Amah, which is a very small area. They were still able to all wrap around and come and bow in that spot. Now, Regarding this uh, piece of Gemara, where it says uh, the people were omdim sefufim and mishtahavim ravachim, the Gemara clearly says it was kesheolin Yisrael laregel when they were coming up on the regel, which means lachaura Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot. Now the uh, The discussion over here is, we learned in Masechet Pesachim, the Tashbet says, that really there was not that much room in the Azara. That's why they had to make the Qurban Pesach in three different uh, shots over here. Because the Azara could not contain all the people. And here it's Mashma that the uh, Beit HaMikdash extended. So therefore he wants to say that really the miracle did not happen on the Regalim. The miracle Dafka happened on Kippur. And all the Gemara is trying to show is that on the Regel, that's how many people you see were in the Beit HaMikdash. They're just showing you from the Regel how many people uh, attended the Beit HaMikdash area. And that's why you had uh, a miracle, but did not take place on the Regel itself, because there was no need to take place on the Regel. Ella took place on Kippur in order that they should not hear the uh, vidui of uh, each Person. There's a for each person to be down here in Kippur at the Beit Midrash, like no, no, no. So, no. so why would you so, think but, that everyone was so, there? So we're assuming that that's what the Gemara Shadusha that there still was an influx like the Regalim, which means just like on the Regalim, we know that they wrapped around all over so Kippur as well, and that's why you needed uh, that miracle. Uh, the Midrash's Lashon says that it was so tight. The end called Biriyah Yecholal Lehoshit you couldn't even put a finger in between the uh, the people. The Ritba writes on this Gemara, Like she learned. But still they had to go to the eastern side of Chozo to speak a Makom. And still there was uh, room for them to bow. There's a famous Hadush on this Gemara from Rav Yonatan Ivishitz. Rav Yonatan Ivishitz writes based on the Gemara in Berachot Davav, where we learned in the name of Rabbah. Says when they used to give the Shirim in the Bet Midrash before the holidays, there was overcrowding. So the Gemara says, where does that overcrowding come from? From the Mezikim. Now, the Mazikim would come to the Shi'ur and they would fill in all the uh, space over there so there wasn't, uh, there wasn't any uh, room. So everybody was Yosrim uh, Tsefufim. So uh, 
he explains that the source of it came according to the Gemara from the Mazikin. And uh, we see in the uh, Gemara Kiddushin that there were Mazikin found in the Bet Midrash. For example, the Gemara over there on the Khafala tells a story of one of the rabbis that went to the Bet Midrash and he saw there was a seven-headed monster, seven-headed Mazik in the Bet Midrash. And how did he decapitate it? How did he get rid of it? He bowed. Which means every time he bowed, it had the ability to get rid of one of the um, Mazikin. So therefore, you see over that certain Inyan, in the bowing, has the ability to get rid of the uh, mazikim. So therefore the Gebarah says like this, Omdim Sefufim. They were standing crowded, why? Because of the mazikim. Umishtahavim. But once they would bow, Ravahim. Automatically it would expand. Because the mazikim would be destroyed. So that's the story of Yotan Abish just wants to explain. Alpi Musar, we can explain this Gebarah yet in a different way. The Gebarah might be giving us um, advice in the following sense. <coughs> When people stand on principle and stand on formality and they're not willing to be flexible for their friends, life becomes very uncomfortable and very crowded. Imagine a person has a neighbor and you know he's trying to build a house and his friend is not allowing him any flexibility in building it. He's judging him by exactly the property line and going back and going forth. Then already life becomes very difficult when nobody's willing to bend for their neighbor. So therefore the Mishnah is the Gemara telling like this. Omdim, when everybody's standing, when everybody's stubborn, when everybody's want to move from their position, sefufim, then life becomes very crowded. Life becomes very tight. It's impossible to live. However, mishtahavim, when people bend, when people bow, when people are flexible, ravahim, then already life becomes much more spacious. Then already life becomes much more easy. The Mishnah is giving us advice not to be omdim, but to be mishtahavim, to be flexible, let things go, things that are not so important, give in a little, and then a red light becomes more comfortable for everybody. In any event, the Gemara says that this was obviously a a miracle. Uh, some of the Mefarshim do point out uh, that this miracle was not limited to the Beta Mikdash. Uh, the Hatam Sofer uh, writes, uh, brings down from the Tashbets, that in his time there was a synagogue, or he writes that when he would go to Yerushalayim on Shavuot. This is already after the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed. He would see the same miracle in the synagogues in Yerushalayim, where the small uh, synagogues were able to fit uh, a lot of people. So it seems that is a, a miracle that uh, happens uh, from time to time, not only in the Beit HaMikdash, but in other places as well. The Gemara says, This was one of the ten daily miracles or ten miracles, I should say, that took place in the Beit Hamikdash. Ditnan, we learned in the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot. There were ten miracles that took place in the Beit Hamikdash. The Beit Nishchai says that the ten miracles in the Beit Hamikdash are connected to ten tests that Abraham Abinu passed. And since the last test that he passed was Akedat Yitzhak, and that was on the Temple Mount, so therefore all the miracles took place in Israel on the Temple Mount. Ten, Keneged, the ten. And what were they? So the Gemara starts listing them. Number one, a lady never had a miscarriage from the smell of the sacrificial meat. Meaning we have a law that says that if a lady has a craving to eat a certain uh, food, 
The halakha says you have to give it to her. Because it could be, sakana can be dangerous for the baby. So it was quite possible that the ladies are going to come up to Yerushalayim and they smell the roasted meat. Now the halakha says really you're not allowed to give basar kodesh to, to a to outsider who's not a uh, kohen. So it never happened that a lady came up to Yerushalayim that smelt the meat of Kodesh and had a craving and because of that ended up having a miscarriage. So that was a miracle. Now she says, Lo'epida isha, ubra shinit aftal le'echon besar asli Now, the uh, Mephashim explained, uh, the Benish Chai says, Vadaya Yura Shaim Nachila. He says, What do you mean? If she had a craving, of course they were able to feed her. Halakha says, If a lady has a craving on Kippur, you feed her. So, all the more, that, that's a sukaret. So, Kocheken, if a lady has a craving for Basar Kodesh, they would feed her. So, what was the miracle that the Benish Chai asks? So, he says, which means it never happened. Which is even though technically they would be able to feed her, but the Basar Kodesh was always protected that it never had to be fed to a, a lady who was uh, pregnant. Comes the next, comes the Gemara says, next miracle. Velo kodesh The sacrificial meat never uh, spoiled. Now you have to keep in mind, they did not have refrigeration in the times of the Beit HaMikdash, especially during the summer months, we have Korbanot, and certain Korbanot are able to be eaten for two days. And therefore, it just laid around for two days till the Kwanim get around to eat it, but never did a piece of meat spoil. Furthermore, when they would place the meat on the Mizbeach, sometimes it would take a few days before it got burnt. So therefore, it was a miracle that no meat in the Beit HaMikdash ever went spoiled. Right? That's what he explains over here. This is referring to the Imurim, the pieces of meat that were delayed, because there was no time to bring it uh, on the Mizbeah that day. So therefore, sometimes it would stay there, he says, for two or three days. Now, the Me'idi has a novel interpretation on this. He says, when it says, Shilo Kodesh He learns that the miracle was that the hands of the Kohanim did not become uh, uh, affected, we'll say, even though they were dealing with meat the whole time. It seems the meat could have had a negative impact on the Kohanim's hands. Maybe the blood or whatever it might be. So the Hadush was that the Kohanim's hands remained intact and were not impacted negatively by the Besara Kodesh. So you would have to learn it. Velo Esriyach Besara Kodesh, which means the Besara Kodesh did not, did not Masriyach the hands of the Kohanim. That's the way you'd learn it according to the Me'idi. Velondir Ezevuv Bebetam there never was seen a fly in the slaughterhouse of the Beit HaMikdash, even though that's a place that would be uh, very uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, opportune for flies to be, meaning that there's, uh, there's uh, uh, blood there and there's the smell of the meat, but that was a miracle as well. Kohen Gadol never had a seminal discharge on Yom Kippur. Even though we learned earlier, it was possible for a Kohen to become Pasul on Yom Kippur, but the Pasul was not from Keritos. For Yashinim explained, because that would be a Gnai Gadol. That would be a great uh, embarrassment for the Kohen. And therefore, it never happened. So, uh, the Tosfot Yom Tov asked the question, 
What do you mean? Uh, if that was a miracle, so then why did the, we go through all the precautions to make sure that the Quran does not become a Balkiri? If you remember, we learned during the seven days of sequestering, towards the end they didn't feed him certain foods because we know that it causes Kedi. And we didn't let him sleep at night because we don't have a seminal discharge. What do you mean? It's a miracle. If it's a miracle, we have nothing to, uh, we have nothing to worry about. So, uh, Tosfoyim Tosfoyim is a very interesting answer. He says like this, Every time a person uh, tries to protect himself uh, to become more kadosh, so that's as if he's instigating against the Yitzhara. Because the Yitzhara's goal is what? To metame a person. So he says, you have to know, once a person is going to make an effort in order to protect himself from sin, the Yitzhara now is going to use all his forces to try to trip the person up. It's almost like the Pasuk says, which means Borei Olam creates counter forces. When you strive to reach levels of Kiddushah, the Yetzirah also now brings out his artillery in order to, to counter it. So therefore they're saying, Adrabah, because the Quran was so careful and so meticulous to try to do everything in his power not to become a Baal Keri, now the Satan would go out of his way to try to make the Quran become a Baal Keri. So as if it was a war. And therefore, if it wasn't for the miracle that a Kohen Gadot did not become a Balkari on Yom Kippur, the Yetzirah would have succeeded. Comes the Gemara and says, Comes the Gemara and says further, Velo nimsap sul be'omer u'bishteh alechem u'bnechem apanim. Regarding the following three korbanot. One is the Omer. Omer was the uh, korban that they brought on the second day of Pesach. They would actually go um, on the Motsa'e Yom Tov Rishon. They would go out to the fields and they would cut a certain amount of the first crop and they would grind it up. As she tells us, and they would sift it in 13 different sifters and they would bring it the next morning for korban Omer. But as she tells us, if something would have happened with this Omer, it became Pasul, they wouldn't be able to bring it that year. Because they only cut the exact amount necessary in order to bring the Qurban. And therefore, miracle was that never did it become Pasul. That's the Qurban that they brought as well on Shavuot. They brought the two loaves. And again, uh, never did they become Pasul. Uh, Rashid tells us that the Shtealdehim were baked at Yom Tov. They didn't bake them on Shavuot. So if something would have happened to them on Shavuot, finish, you can't bring them again. And for that matter, the showbread, which were also uh, placed on the table, they were baked on Eid Shabbat. They didn't bake them on Shabbat. They would bake them on Friday, and they would put them on the table on Shabbat. If something would happen in the interim, let's say on Shabbat, finish, so the table would not have bread. So there was a miracle that these three items never did they become Pasul. Which we learned. They would stand crowded, but when they would bow, they would have uh, room. Never in Yerushalayim did a snake or a scorpion damage anybody. Now from this Gemara, it's mashma, that they might have bitten people. Which means snake bites might have happened, and scorpion bites, but nobody ever died. Or nobody ever got damaged. Doesn't say velo nashach nachash ve'akrab. It's velo hizik, which is mashma that they got bitten, which is common, I guess, in those days. But they just did not uh, get hurt. Velo amar adam lachavero, 
And never did a person say, Tsar li hamakom she'alin birushalayim. Nobody ever said, Tsar li, it's tight over here in Yerushalayim. There's no, uh, there's no living quarters, there's no room for me to sleep. Or the way that she says, I can't make a living over here in Yerushalayim. Nobody ever said that. The dwellers of Yerushalayim always had parnasah, because HaKadot Baruch Hu takes care of the people of Yerushalayim. They always had their livelihood, and they always had living quarters. Now the miracle is compounded, that on the Regalim, there was an influx of visitors that came to Rushalayim, and nobody ever said, Salim I don't have a, uh, a place to stay, a residence, that I cannot stay in Rushalayim, which is truly uh, a miracle. Even today, with all the hotels and all the uh, accommodations, person has to make reservations uh, a year before to secure a little room in Yerushalayim. And that's with all the high-rises and everything. And the old days, they didn't have such infrastructure. And still, a miracle was everybody who stayed in Yerushalayim had a place to stay. Nobody had to leave Yerushalayim because of residency. So the problem with this over here is, uh, we listed ten. However, eight of them happened in the Beit HaMikdash. The last two were miracles from Yerushalayim. Nobody got bitten by scorpions and snakes in Yerushalayim. And nobody ever had to leave Yerushalayim who lived there for Parnassah. Uh, so the Gemara says, Patah b'mikdash v'siyem Yerushalayim. Well, you start with the Mikdash miracles. Then you end up with the miracles of Yerushalayim. So the Gemara says, Ika tarte acharanaita b'mikdash. There's two more in the Beit HaMikdash. Because we're, we're short two now. So the Gemara says two more. Betanya, me'olam lo kavu geshamim esh shel'atzea ma'arakha. The Beit HaMikdash was exposed to the open sky. And there was a fire on the Mizbayah. And never did the rains extinguish the fire that was on the Mizbayah. And regarding the smoke that came off the Mizbayah, even if all the winds would come from any direction, it would never move the smoke. Because the smoke went straight up. It was unaffected by wind. So there you go. There's another two miracles in the Beit HaMikdash. So that brings the sum total to ten in the Beit HaMikdash, plus another two that took place in Yerushalayim. So the Gemara says, What do you mean? That's all you have? You only have these ten miracles? We have a Braita. Rav Shema'ya Bekanebo. That's the name of a place. Shemaya from the place of Kalnebo. We know in the Beit HaMikdash they would use Kelihares. Kelihares is, let's say, earthenware vessels. They would use them, let's say, to cook the Korbanot in them. Now, when you cook a Korban in a Kelihares, what happens? Part of the Korban gets absorbed in the walls. Now, after the uh, Korban's eating time is expired, the walls now have in them notar. Because the kurban that's absorbed in the wall now becomes a sur to eat. So therefore these kedihiris, you cannot kosher a kedihiris, so you have to destroy them. So what did they do? They used to go to a certain spot in the Beit HaMikdash, and they would put all the kedihiris there. And miraculously, they would get absorbed in the ground. They would disappear underground. So that was a miracle. Nibla'in bimkomam. Secondly, Another 
Another thing, what it also gets swallowed in the ground, that's the mora'ah. Mora'ah, in Hebrew they call it the, the, the zefek. That's the insides of, the, of a bird. When they would bring, let's say, a, a bird on the mizbeah, right? Or ta'of. So they would have to take out the insides, because that's where the, like the, in Hebrew they call it the kurkeban, the different areas over there that have the dirt, of the, uh, the excrement of the animal. So they would clean that out. That's called the mora'ah. The notzah. Notzah would be the feathers of the bird. They would also have to take the ashes on the inner Mizbeah. Till now we only discussed the Dishu Mizbeah Haitsoni. But they also have to take the ashes off the Mizbeah Hapinimi, the inner Mizbeah, Vidishuna Menorah, and the cleaning out of the Menorah which they did every day. Also, when they would put them in their spot over there, they also would get a, a miracle that they would get swallowed in their place. So comes the. Uh, Gemara comes so you see what? There was more uh, miracles uh, than, uh, than the ten. So comes Gemara and says, Pesule telata avu hajvinu behad. He says, hold it. <clears throat> Go back and count again. When we counted three, meaning when we counted Psula Omer, when we counted Shteh Lechem, and we counted Lechem, we counted it originally as three. So the Gemara says, you know what? That's really one miracle. That items that cannot be replaced never became Pasul. So the Gemara says, Hasbinu Bihad. Count that as one. So now we have two left over. Apik Take out two. Ve'ayil And add two. Which means these two miracles that we just mentioned now about the Kili Hayris getting swallowed in the ground. And all that other stuff of the Olat Ta'of and the Dishum is Me and the Dishun and the Menorah, that when they place it on the ground, it would get swallowed up. There's the extra two. <coughs> There's the extra two, and then we have ten. So the Gemara says, <coughs> Which means the Gemara says, What do you mean? All these things that got swallowed on the ground also count them as one. Why do you count Heres that got swallowed on the ground separately and all the other stuff? Just like you're counting the psul of the Lechamapanim, the Shtal Lechim, and the, um, and the Omer as one. So count all the stuff that got uh, swallowed in the ground as one. So therefore now we're short again. One. So the Gemara says, Ika <coughs> Ahariti. There is another miracle. The Amar of Yoshua ben Levi, Nes Gadol there was a great miracle <coughs> that took place regarding the twelve showbread, the lechmapanim. When they would take it off the table a week later, so they would place it on Shabbat. When they placed it on Shabbat, it was piping hot. <coughs> the hadush was a week later when they took it off, it was still piping hot. You saw the smoke come out of it. So that was another miracle. Shleimar, like the Pasuk says, this Pasuk is in Shemuel, which the Dirajna's Pasuk is that they would take uh, hot bread, it was still hot on the day that they removed it. <coughs> so the Gemara says, hold it, Vitu Leka. What do you mean? That, that's the only miracle? Yeah, so we got ten now. But that's the only miracles? Yeah, there are more miracles. Davar Masorid Avotenu. 
We have a tradition from our fathers. Makom Aaron Eno Minamida. The place of the Aaron, which is in the Kodesh Kodashim, did not take up any space. Which means the dimensions of the Kodesh uh, Kodashim was 20 Amot. They would place the Aaron in the center. Now, on both sides of the Aaron, there was still 10 Amot. Which means the Aaron itself was placed there, but it did not take up any Shi'ur. Which is a, which is a, it, it, it defies any logic. Obviously, that's a miracle. No, it was stayed, the Beit HaMikdash, the Kodesh Kodashim was 20. You, you measured 10 on one side and 10 on the other side. So it's it still had a shoot of 20, but the Aaron was right in the middle. Now, the, the Kodesh Kodashim's dimensions cannot change. So therefore, it's Enomina Minyan, Enomina Midah. Uh, ben Ishai explains over here from here you learn a lesson that the Aron represents Tamut Torah Tamut Torah does not take up any physical space meaning that whatever a person spends on Tamut Torah it, it doesn't, uh, it does, doesn't uh, affect his, uh, his bottom line which means one of the things Borei takes care of is the money that one spends on learning whether it's uh, teaching his children Torah or for himself so therefore don't worry it's not going to take up of any of the physical space that already is benes secondly the cherubs also which were the wings right the, the structures of the of the that were by the kapore or by the aron in the times of Shilom they were made out of wood and they were plated with gold and they were placed on either sides of the uh, Aron now the wingspan of each one of the Kirubim was five Amma now going across wing, because they were, all, they, were, they, were, they were next to each other so from one end of the Kodesh so it should be twenty five each wing, it's four wings because each one has two but the place of the Kirubim themselves also had uh, a width to themselves but they didn't take up any space which means if you measure the wings across it was exactly 20 and the makom which means if you take a uh, just imagine like a, like a bird the bird's uh, wings that are spread from wing to wing it's wing the width of the bird itself and then the, the wing itself and here you had all the wings going across which is exactly the length of the uh, Kodesh Kodashim which is exactly 20 and still the makom of the the Kirubim themselves did not take up any space. So you see, there was another miracle. Mm. So comes the Gemara and says, Nise de berae kahashiv. Nise de gavae lo kahashiv. Which uh, literally means, we're only counting the miracles that were outside, we're not counting the miracles that were inside. Which means these miracles of the Aaron and the Kirubim, they were on the inside. Now, you're going to ask a question, what do you mean? Lehama Panim was also on the inside, seemingly. Where was Lehama Panim? It was in the Kodesh. It wasn't in the Kodesh Kodashim, but it's also relatively on the inside. So the Gibraltar says, Iyakheh, Lehama Panim, Nameh. What do you mean? If that's the case, Lehama Panim also was on the inside of the Beit HaMikdash. So the Gibraltar says, Niseh, Iyakheh, Lehama Panim, Nameh, Niseh, Degavayu. Would you, that's a miracle that happened inside. Kamara answers no, the Hamapanim ni said the Berayu. That the Lehmapanim was actually a miracle that happened on the outside. Why? Not that they uh, when we say outside over we mean that people were able to see it. She's the Gemara was assuming we're only discussing miracles that people are able to visualize. You can't see the Aron. You can't see the um, mm-hmm. the the Kirubim. So the Gibraltar says, no, 
we're discussing, uh, we're not discussing the inside ones. Nobody can see that one either. It's also in the Kodesh. The Jewish people do not have access to the Kodesh. So the Kodesh says, no. We're going to see that a few times a year, the Jews had access to see the miracle of the Dehamapanim. How? What does it mean when it says in the Pasuk, Shulhan Hattahor? It says they replaced the Lehamapanim on the Shulhan, the table that was Tahor. So the Gibra says, Tahor, The fact that it's calling the table Tahor it means it's possible for the Shulhan to become Tameh. So the Gibra how's that possible? We have a rule that any wooden keli that's made to be uh, stationary in one spot cannot be mekabel tum'ah. Vechol keli That's a fact. So the shulchan was never moved. So therefore, how can you tell me shulchan tahor? How can you tell me shulchan tahor? Imply that it can become tameh. The shulchan can never become tameh. Now, how do you know that a kli that's made to be stationary cannot become tameh? Top rashi. It's not moved. The Torah compares a kili'etz to a sack. Now what's the comparison? Just like a sack. You carry it empty. Obviously it's easy to carry an empty sack. But you can also carry it when it's full. Meaning you fill it up with uh, merchandise and you carry it. So the only type of kili'et that's going to be mikabel tum'ah is one that's movable. Whether it's an empty table or a filled table. Now, that she has a side question. What do you mean? Wasn't the shulchan plated with gold? So it's not a kili'et, it's kli. So that she says, uh, the tzipui is considered batel to the shulchan. Which means, uh, ultimately the shulchan is really called a keli etz. In any event, we're back to the question. How could you tell me shulchan atahor, implying that what? It can become tameh, and the shulchan can become tameh. It's a keli etz asui lenahat, and a keli etz asui lenahat cannot become tameh. So the Gemara says further, not only doesn't it become tameh if it's kliyat al-sulinahat, but the second line of the Gemara says, v'chotzetz b'fnei tum'ah. It also interposes in front of tum'ah. Meaning, let's say, Barmanan, you have in a house, a mit. So, of course, the whole room is filled with tum'ah. Now, if there's any openings, the tum'ah is able to go through the openings into the next room. So, therefore, if you block it with something, so, if you block it, for example, with a kliyat al-sulinahat, just like it doesn't become tameh, it can be a hatzitzah stopping the tumah from penetrating. So the Gemara says, "Ela, so how did Shulchan become tameh? Ela melamed shemagbihin oto leole legalim. Ela, you see what? That they did move the table from time to time. When under the galim, they used to lift the Shulchan, veomrim uh, lahem, and they would show the uh, people that would come up to Yerushalayim under the galim. Reu habatchem nefnei hamakom." The Kohanim would tell the people, look how much God loves you. That look how hot it is. It's still piping hot a week later. They would show the Jewish people this miracle. 
So therefore the Gemara is saying you can count the Lehama Panim because the Lehama Panim actually was a miracle that happened outside. Not that it happened outside. They cannot move this Shohan, but they were able to see it. Our whole Gemara's question was we're only counting the miracles that the people were able to see. So the Gemara says, what do you mean? The Lehama Panim miracle they weren't able to see it was in the Kodesh. Say no. We'll prove it to you that they saw that miracle. Because we know the Torah says Shulchan Tahor. That means it's possible to become Tameh. The only way the Shulchan can become Tameh is if it was ever moved. Because otherwise it's a clear When was the Shulchan ever moved? Under the Galim. How was it moved? The Quranim would lift it up and show the Lechem Panim that it was still piping out to the Oleh the Galim. So I once uh, heard a Hidush. <coughs> regarding this miracle, that why would they go out of their way to show them the piping heart, Lechamapanim? Isn't it enough miracles that they, that they saw already? They needed this bonus miracle to see that the Lechamapanim remained hot a week later. <coughs> so I saw the explanation according to the Musa like this. The nature of a human being is, in the beginning when he does something, uh, the first time or the uh, uh, first couple of times, he's excited, he's hot, he's fresh. He's motivated. And then, of course, over time, that excitement and novelty wears off, and he cools down. Specifically, let's say when a person goes to visit Eris Israel. When he's in Eris Israel, he's all excited. He's the Kiddushah, and he feels all the, uh, the holiness, and he's saying to himself, this is the place where we're supposed to be living, and this is uh, the right way, what are we doing in the exile, etc. And even when he comes back, I, I, I miss Eris Israel, I'm longing for it But then eventually he gets used to the exile And then Israel just becomes a place where he visits from time to time And he loses that inspiration The same thing might have happened to the Jews that used to go up to the uh, Regalim At the times of the Beit HaMikdash what a, what a week of inspiration You saw the Kohanim Ba'avodatam, Nevi'im B'duchanam, Yisib Ma'amadam You were with Tens of thousands of Jews praying together in the Beit HaMikdash. You witnessed all these daily miracles. It was truly a week of excitement and inspiration. But now, before they were about to leave, the Kohanim wanted to give Musad to the people. Don't cool off. You're going back now to Bavel, or you're going to wherever you're going to go. Don't let this a week of inspiration dissipate. So they would show them the Lechamapani, and they would say, Look, look at the Lechamapani one week later, and it's still piping hot. And therefore that was a Musad to them, that you must carry the excitement that you're taking from Yerushalayim, and you can't cool off, you have to keep it going even when you leave. So therefore it was miracle slash Musad, and the rebuke that the Quranim were giving by showing them the Slecham Apanim. In any event, the Gebrach says, Why, was there no more miracles than that? There were more miracles. The time He planted all types of trees of gold. Which the Yerushalmi explains. He actually planted gold. He put gold in the ground. And special trees grew. And the fruits that came out of them were golden fruits. And they would produce fruits in the proper time, according to the uh, season. And when the wind would blow against the trees, 
the golden fruit would fall off the trees. Like the Trees, the Lebanon is a reference to the Beit HaMikdash, and Yerash is noise, because when the wind would blow, the golden fruits would clink uh, against each other, and they would make, let's say, a ringing sound. However, when the Guim came into the Beit HaMikdash, destroyed Yevesh, the trees dried up. Which means, and the flourishings of Lebanon, umlal, and it became desolate. But those trees are going to sprout again. So then you see that the kavod of the Lebanon, the Beit HaMikdash is going to be returned to it. For bottom line, you see, there was a miracle of these special uh, golden uh, trees that Shalom planted. So the Gebra says, We're not counting permanent miracles, which means this miracle over here was a constant. See, the trees were uh, furniture. They were in the ground over there. It was constant. All the other miracles happen from time to time. And therefore, as she says, Dik on the fourth line, See, that's a miracle where there's, a, there's an actual tree over there where you see it constantly. Well, the other miracles were like uh, items that were not fixed. Like a fly never flying into the bed of behind. That's not a fixed uh, furniture. That's just a, a miracle. Although it was, it was constant, but it's not something that you saw. Meaning it's not something that was planted there that you could see it at all times. So the Gibra says, ah, once already you're coming along with this answer, right. Now we can answer why he didn't count the miracle of the Aaron and the Kirubim. Till now we answered why, because that was inside. Nobody was able to see it. But now you can answer differently, because that was furniture. Things that were kavua, that were stationary items of furniture that were in one place, constantly were not counted. And the Aron and Kirubim were furnishings that were constantly there, therefore they were not counted as the ten miracles. Amar Mor. We learned, Ve'ashan Right, We said, and the smoke of the Ma'alacha, of the Mizbeah went up straight, was not affected by winds. Did the Mizbeah emit smoke? We learned in the Brayta. There were five things that were said regarding the fire that was on the Mizbeah. Number one, the image of the fire as it was, um, you know, lighting off the Mizbeah, it had the image of a crouched lion. Which means that as she's learning, the shape of the fire itself was in the image of a lion that was crouched. And the color of the fire was bright like the sun. Which means, let's say, uh, like a bright uh, orange or yellowish color. As opposed to, let's say, fires that would be reddish. And there was substance to this fire. Normally fire is it's not a tangible fire. This fire was a special fire. It was the essence of fire. It was actually had a uh, tangibleness to it. And it would eat moist like it eats dry. Meaning whatever wood was on the Mizbayah. If the wood was dry wood, it would consume it. Now normally uh, the fire cannot consume 
wood that's moist. But this fire would consume moist like it would dry. Uh, and it would not produce smoke. So how could you tell me that there was a miracle off the Mizbeah, that the smoke went up straight, it wasn't affected by winds? Question mark. Gemara answers, There were two fires on the Mizbeah. There was the fire that came down from heaven. It says when the Betamitash was built, a coal came down from heaven that remained on the Mizbeah. But the Kohanim were obligated to bring wood of their own. So therefore, the fire of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that was smoke-free. However, the wood that was placed on the Mizbeah by Aaron and his children, that would produce smoke. Shine'em letanya, venatenu b'nei Aaron ha-Kohen, esh ala Mizbeah. Afalpi she'esh yoredet men ha-Shamayim, mitzvah la'avi min ha-Hidyot. We learn over there that even though the fire came down from heaven, there was a mitzvah still to bring it from uh, the Ejot from the Kohanim. So there were, there were two woods on the Mizbeach. And which wood produced the fire? The wood that the Kohanim, pl- uh, the smoke, the wood that the Kohanim placed. And it had the image of a crouched lion. We learned in the Braita, Amar of Hanina, Segana Kohanim. Anira Itia, Virbutsaka Kedir. He said, what are you talking? I saw the fire on the Beit HaMikdash and it looked like a crouched dog. So the Gemara says, Lakashia, Kan b'Mikdash Rishon, Kan b'Mikdash Sheni. In the first Beit HaMikdash, the fire had the image of a lion. The Mephashtim explained why. Because since it was built by Shilom Melech, and Shilom Melech came from the tribe of Yehuda, and the symbol of Yehuda was a lion. However, in the Bayit Sheni, which was destroyed by the, uh, uh, or which was um, rebuilt under the auspices of the Parsim, that was Daryavish and Koresh, and the Parsim were compared to as dogs, so therefore the image on the Mizbeah was a dog. In the second Beta Mikdash, was there a uh, fire on the Mizbeah? So the Gemara says, why? What does it mean when it says in the Pasuk? Now this Pasuk is in Haggai. The Pasuk says, Now, which literally means, I will, uh, I will appease it, and I will receive respect from it. Now the word, we're reading it, but it's written, uh, it's written without a hit. The word is actually ve'ekabeda. That's the word ve'ekabeda. But the uh, way it's spelled in the Tanakh is ve'ekabeda with a dalid. There's no hair after it. It's missing a hair. I will receive kavod, but it's written without a hair. Ve'karinan ve'ekabeda. So you see the word ve'ekabeda without a hair. Ve'karinan and we read it ve'ekabeda with a hair. My shenat mechusar hair. Why is it missing the, the hair? Because it's telling us that there were five differences between the first Beit HaMikdash and the second Beit HaMikdash. Aaron, I'm one the Aaron. After the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, the before it was destroyed, Shalom Melech built a certain uh, vault where the Aaron was Nignaz. 
That was only in the first bit of the we had the Aron. The Kaporet. Kaporet is the covering of the Aron, which was the also when the Aron was Nignaz, the Kaporet itself was also taken down. The Kirubim, that was the cherubs. Ish, the fire that was constantly on the Mizbeach, was not around in the times of Mayachini. The Shekhinah, the Shekhinah, which means the presence of the Shekhinah was not as concentrated in Bayachini like Bayachishon. The Ruach HaKodesh, which means prophecy. Prophecy ended in the times of Bayachini. The Urim V'Tumim. And we know the Urim V'Tumim, the crane used to wear a breastplate with the stones of the Shabbatim. And in between the uh, folds of this breastplate, they would put the Shema Mephodash inside it, and that would cause the stones to lighten up, to brighten. And it was with this mechanism that the Kohen would use it to have uh, predictions of whether they should go to war or not, and different national uh, questions. In any event, these were the five. So you, you, you count the uh, Aron and the Kaporet and the Kirubim as one. And then you have Shekhinah, Ish. Shekhinah, Ruach HaKodesh, and Yivetumim. Okay? So the Gemara is questioning, what do you mean? You're telling me a fire on the Mizbeah? There was no fire on the Mizbeah in the times of the second Mithra Mikdash. So the Gemara says, Amre in meva hava siyu'e lo misayah. There was a fire, but it did not receive any help. What does that mean? So the Mephashim explain it, which means... The fire was on the Mizbeah. However, it did not aid in the burning of the meats. In the times of the first Pentecost, there was a fire from heaven. That fire also was involved in consuming the Korbanot. In the second Pentecost, there was a fire on the Mizbeah as well. But that fire did not consume any of the meat. Which it came down, was on the Mizbeah, but only the fire that the Kohanim placed on the Mizbeah, that was involved in the burning of the Korbanot. So therefore, it's as if it was a different fire. It was a fire from Shammai that was on the Mizbeach, but it did not aid, that's the Gemara Zashon, it did not help the fire of the Kohanim to consume the meats that were on the uh, Mizbeach. Which means, in the first Beit HaMikdash, it was a miracle. Those wood that the Kohanim would place on the Mizbeach was symbolic. He didn't need to put them there. The fire of the Shammai would burn everything that was on the Mizbeach. In the second Beit HaMikdash, those woods that the Kohanim put on the Mizbeach were more than symbolic. They were actually necessary in order to burn the Korbanot. Uh, Comes again and continues. That should be pointed out. Look at the bottom to Safot. Ve'urim ve'tumim. Urim ve'tumim havu. You have to say the Quran was wearing the breastplate. It's just that it wasn't working. Which means, because you could learn the Gemara and say there was no one in between at all. Maybe he wasn't even wearing it. And he says they can't do that because the Quran is not wearing his garments. He has to wear the eight garments. He's pursued to work. So you know, the, the item was there. It's just that it wasn't functional. So that's the way Tosfot understands it. Comes the Gemara and says, Tanurabanan, Shish. There are six type of fires. There's a fire that consumes uh, dry things, but not wet. It cannot drink. It doesn't take liquid. There's a fire that causes drinking, but does not consume. And there's a fire that eats 
both food and liquid. And there's a fire that can eat moist as well as dry. And there's a fire that pushes away a fire. And there's a fire that can consume a fire. Gemara explains all six. Yes, esh ocheled There's a fire that consumes but does not drink. Ha vidan. That's our fires. A regular fire consumes uh, uh, dry. dry items, but it cannot burn liquid. On the contrary, liquid puts out a fire. That's esh ocheled veena shote. Shote veena ocheled. A fire that causes drinking. Explaining it differently now. Causes drinking. But does not consume the cholin. That's the fire of a sick person, which is a person that has fever. Fever causes a person to lose his uh, appetite, but what causes him to drink a lot? So therefore, as she says, the cholin min He becomes thirsty. So there's a fire that induces drinking, but does not. Consume meaning does not induce eating. The person is sick, he loses his appetite, but he still needs to drink. There's a fire that can both eat and drink. That was with the fire of Eliyahu Navi when he had that confrontation with Nabiya Baal. And uh, he put his Qurban on the Mizbayah, and he doused his Qurban with water first. To show them there's going to be a miracle within a miracle. That the fire is going to come down from Shamayim, and not only is it going to consume the Qurban, but it's going to burn the Qurban that was doused in water. And there was a big trough next to the Mizbaya that was filled with water. When the fire came down from Shamayim, not only did it consume the Qurban, but all the water in the trough was singed. So therefore, it burnt not only Qurban, but also water. And the water that was in the trough, the fire singed. There's a fire that can eat uh, moist as well as dry. The That's the Mizbeach, like we learned. It eats the dry pieces of wood as well as the moist pieces of wood. And there's a fire that pushes away a fire. The Gabriel. That's referring to the fire of Gabriel. Do you remember we learned the Masichet Pesachim? That when Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were thrown into the fiery furnace by Nebuchadnezzar, God dispatched the angel Gabriel who was in charge of the fire and told Gabriel, go save the Sadiqin. So he went down and with the power of his fire, he cooled off the fire that was inside where Hananiah Mishael Hazariah was and he burnt the outer area where the people who threw Hananiah Mishael Hazariah were standing. So that's a fire that pushes away a fire. Gabriel who had the power of fire pushed away the negative fire and cooled off that area and put his fire on the extremities to burn the Rishaim that threw them in. That's Ish Dohe Ish the Ish Ish Ochilet Ish and there's a fire that consumes fire. The Shekhinah. That's referring to the Shekhinah, which is God is compared to fire. The Amar Mor, Hoshit Etzbaho Benehem Vesarfan. It says, when God was creating Adam and Rishon, the angels uh, were against it. The angels told Bore Olam that uh, he shouldn't create Adam. So God was angry at the angels, so he put his finger on them. And what happened? He burnt them. Now Bore Olam is fire. And the angels are fire. So you see a case of we have ish burns ish. That's God that burnt the malachim when they refused for the creation of 
Adam. So the Gemara says, "Ve'ashan ma'alacha afilu kol aruchot shebaolam en mizizot oto mevekomo." We said that the smoke that came off the ma'alacha, even all the winds in the world, will not be able to move it. After the hal of Sukkot was over, now Sukkot were judged for water, rain. Now, there was a great miracle in the Beit HaMikdash. After the Beit HaMikdash, after the eighth day of the holiday was over, people would stick around and they would watch the smoke rise from the Mizbeah. And based on which direction the smoke was rising, they would know which winds are going to be in control that year. And based on which winds were going to be in control, that would tell them if it's going to be a good year or not a good year. So the Gemara says, Everybody would look at the smoke that was on the coming up from the Mizbeah. If they saw the smoke tilting towards the north, that means the southerly winds were blowing. Because the southerly winds would blow and cause the smoke to go to the north. So the poor people would be happy, and the rich people said, Because that means going to be a big rainy season. The southerly winds bring the rain. So why the Anim happy? There's a lot of rain. The rich people cannot keep their foods in storage. Because they're going to spoil. So what happens? They're forced to unload all their fruits. So they don't spoil. As a result, what happens to the market? The prices are very cheap. So therefore the Anim love it. On, a, on, on an abundant rainy season, it causes spoilage of fruits that are in the warehouses. And therefore they have to sell it before it spoils. Therefore there's a, an abundance. Natak la If the If the smoke was blowing to the south, that means the northerly wind was blowing... It's the opposite. The poor people were saying, the rich people were happy. Because it's going to be a little rain during the season. And the fruits are not going to spoil, which means there's going to be high prices, and therefore the rich people can make a lot of money, and the poor people are going to have to pay high prices for the food. Right? Fine. And the second case is that the fruits, since it's lack of rain, the fruits that they have in the storehouses are uh, not going to spoil, so they can sell them at a high price because of the supply and demand. Now let's say the westerly winds were blowing, and therefore the smoke was blowing towards the east. That's ah, the best situation, everybody's happy. Why does she says Shiruach Ma'arabit Shekulai? It's a balanced wind. The fruit do not spoil. But there's an abundance as well. So everybody's happy. The rich people they're happy that their fruit are not spoiling. But the poor people also happy because the price is not going to be that expensive because there's going to be an abundance of food as well. However, if the easterly wind is blowing, and therefore the smoke is towards the west, everybody is sad, because that's the famine. That uh, easterly wind dries up everything. So that's the question, put a question mark over there, which means, you're telling me what, that the smoke would go straight up. 
the winds were not affected. Now you're seeing what? That on Mutsa'e Sukkot, you saw the winds would affect the uh, smoke, and that would be the way they would discern what type of year they're going to have. So comes the Gemara and says, De'azil Which means even when it was tilted, it still went straight up like a stick. It still did not disperse by the winds. Which means, like a, even though it was, let's say, going towards the west, it would go straight. straight up. Even though it was windy, the smoke would not dissipate. So it was a miracle, not that it necessarily went straight up, or wasn't affected by winds. Even if the winds would push it in a certain direction, it would be in a straight line, like a stick. Amar Mor. So he said, If the wind was blowing towards the east, which means if you have a westerly wind that's causing the smoke to go to the east, everybody's happy. Meaning a westerly wind is good. But if the smoke was going to the west, meaning an easterly wind, everybody has said, We have a contradiction. Exact opposite. Here it says the easterly wind is always good. Ma'arabit le'olam kasheh. And the Ma'arabit, the westerly wind is always bad. Ruach sefonit, regarding a northerly wind, yafeh lahitim. It's good for the wheat. Shlish. As long as the wheat already has grown a third of its growth, northerly winds are beneficial. Ve'kasheh lazetim. Bizman she'en hontim. However, the northerly winds are bad for uh, olives that are blossoming. Now, ruach deromit, regarding a southerly wind, southerly winds are bad for wheat that reached a third of its growth. But they're good for uh, blossoming uh, olives. Now, the Gemara just gives you a side point. How are you going to remember the benefit of northerly winds? And suddenly wins. The Amar of Yosef, the Tima Marzutav, the Simanach, Shulhan Basafon, Menurab Badarom. The way you can remember the north and south winds is remember where the Shulhan was in the Bet Megdash. The Shulhan was in the north, and the Menurab was in the south. And therefore, what was on the Shulhan? Wheat, the bread. So therefore, Shulhan Basafon reminds me of what? The northerly winds are good for wheat, but they're not good for. Olives. The menorah has olive oil in it. So the menorah which is in the south reminds us that southerly winds are good for olives, but not good for wheat. But by the way, I have a question. You just told me what? That the westerly wind is the best wind. And the easterly wind, no good. And now you tell me the exact opposite. The easterly wind is always good, and the westerly wind is always bad. Kebara's answer... Oh, so the question is, Hi Marbedi, I'm just continuing the Lashon. Hi Marbedi De, the northerly wind promotes what's in the north, meaning wheat, that was on the table. The Hi Marbedi De. And the southerly wind promotes what's on it, meaning olives. Now we get back to the question. So the Gemara answers, Lakasha, Halan Valehu. Once for us and once for them. Which means, Halan, the people in Bavel. 
In Bavir, they lived in the low-lying areas where there was a lot of marshland and a lot of water. And therefore, the easterly wind was good in Bavir because it would dry up the land. You didn't want rains in Bavir because the rains in Bavir would cause flooding. So therefore, in Bavir, it's the opposite. The easterly wind, which is a drying wind, is better. And the, the westerly wind, which brings rain, that's bad. Halehu. But for the people in Eretz Yisrael, to them it was more beneficial because they didn't have so much rain. So therefore, they were banking on the westerly rain winds, which was good, and the easterly winds, that would dry up, that would be bad. So, look at the bottom of the sheet. Now, before we finish the Perek, I'd just like to point out the bottom Tosfot on Chaf Aleph, Hamud Rishon. We learned that one of the miracles that took place in the Beit HaMikdash was that the ashes of the Mizbeya HaPinimi, the inner Mizbeya, they would place it on the ground and it would get swallowed up in the ground. So look at the Tosafot. Nibnaimim Koman, Pereshanab Purat, Tehu Adin Dishu Mizbeya Haitzon. That what we learned yesterday in the Gemara of the Shumiz Be'aitzon, that they would make Haramat Adesh every day, and they would place it on the eastern side of the Kevish, so that he put out this saying, there was a miracle on that Mizbeah as well, that the ashes on the outer Mizbeah would also get swallowed up in the ground. As we mentioned, the end of the Rabbeinu Tam. But the Rabbeinu Tam says, no, I don't agree. Dimina le'aisebara keman delo hashiv le'bahadehanach. Where do you see? They didn't list it as one of the miracles. Which is when we talk about the things that got swallowed in the ground, we only discussed the Shun Mizbeya Hapinimi. So where do you get the report to come along and say, Who had deen to the Mizbeya Haitsun? doesn't say it. The odd, Hamrina, the Perikosha, we learned the Masikat Pesachim of Mishalhi Temura, the Efer Kodesh Le Olam Asur. Which is the effort. The ashes from the Mizbayah always remain asur. Meaning, even after they're burnt, you have to put them in Geniza. You have to, you're not allowed to benefit from them. Which means it says that you take the ashes of the Haraman, you place it next to the Mizbayah. So the Gabbana says, Which means make sure it doesn't scatter around because you're not allowed to benefit from them. But what do you see over here? Alma de lo avan neblabim koman. We obviously they didn't get swallowed in its place. Midetaun geniza. From the fact that the Gemara says that after you place them down, you have to take them and put them in geniza. Because you don't want anybody to use them. What do you mean? If they got swallowed in the ground, so uh, why, how can you put them in geniza? So again, the Benutam is going over here saying that the Mizbeah Haitzon's ashes did not get swallowed. He says, Miu yesh lomar kra lab anisa samach. That's my whole proof. I can reject it and say like this. When the Pasuk says, You should place it next to the Mizbeah. When you place it easily so it doesn't fly around, which is much that it didn't get swallowed in the ground, the Pasuk is not relying on a miracle. I can really tell you, maybe the miracle did happen, but the Pasuk is just discussing the normal practice without relying on a miracle. Meaning, if it wasn't for the fact that it would get swallowed in the ground, it would need Giriza. 
But since it always got swallowed on the ground, it never came to action. Which is, or you can explain like this, when was the Gemara Pesayim saying that the effort is always Asud? If some guy would come and dig under the ground, and dig up the ash that got swallowed in, those ashes remain Asud. So really Tosfot, he uh, rejects his proofs. Because one question Tosfot had was what? What do you mean you see the ashes? It says the Ta'un Genizah. What do you mean Genizah? I thought it got swallowed on the ground. Which is trying to say that yeah, if somebody would dig them up after they got swallowed on the ground, know that those ashes are still Asur, and you have to put them in Genizah. So because that we have, it seems, a... Um, Shita uh, of the Riporat that says who had deen the Mizbah it's on ashes and Abin Utam wanted to argue and brought some questions but then he uh, answers his questions against the Riporat Adran Alach Shiva'at Yamin